What's up, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of Walk on Wisdom. I am your host, Michael Chandler. By no means an expert at anything, uh, but I know a little bit about a few things. Enough for you guys to send your questions in to podcast at michaelchandler.com. The response thus far, the buzz thus far, the amount of questions and intrigue that are coming in is just absolutely humbling. I really appreciate you guys, um, especially the trust factor that you guys have for me sending in your questions, things that you're dealing with, things that you're struggling with, um, seasons that you've gone through both in your past, in your present, but also in your future forward thinking. How do we get from where we are today, setting aside, laying aside the, the failures of our past, the shortcomings of our past, who we have been and trying to get to where we want to be trying to become who we want to become. We all want to be something. We all want to get to a certain point where we can be something, but it's the process of becoming that really matters. We want to be something. Everybody wants to get from point A to point B, to be who they want to be, do what they want to do, have what they want to have, but it's the process of becoming is where... The rubber meets the road. So you guys sending in your questions and asking me these things is humbling for me. It's uh, it's honestly like going to going to school for myself, going to church for myself, um, because in answering y'all's questions, you giving an insight into your struggles, it helps me not only answer that question to bring you value, but it's also bringing myself value. So thank you guys for being a part of this. Let's get right into it. Um, first question comes from Max. Hi, Michael. Congrats on your success in the UFC and podcasting world. I wish you the best moving forward into the ultimate fighter in your matchup against Conor McGregor. I have a question regarding a recent spell of underachievement and disappointment in my social and academic life. I go to a college in a big 10 school and I'm a part of a Greek life there. As you can imagine, I have plenty of distractions that don't lead me into becoming the man I hope to be someday. Alcohol, women, partying, partying, etc. Last year as a freshman, I failed out of college and had to take a year-long break to attend a community college. I was able to realize some academic success and maturity at the community college I was attending and get my year-long academic recess cut in half. I am now back to a larger school, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to carry my good habits with me. I constantly find myself making the same mistakes I made that led to my first academic recess. I'm starting to worry that I am destined to fail at achieving my goals, and the thought of that keeps me up at night. I look to you as a golden example of a man that I want to be, and I was wondering if you could shed any light or offer any advice on how to overcome my spell of underachievement and failure. Thank you for your time, Max. Well, Max, first thing I would say is thank you. It's a sign of maturity for you to ask this question, to, to admit these faults. Um, so many times in life we make excuses for why we have failed. We make excuses for why we have underachieved. We make excuses for why we have disappointed, not just other people, our higher ups, whatever it is we're, we are pursuing, but also disappointing ourselves. So many times in life, we would just look for excuses instead of look for accountability. And Max, I appreciate you even asking this question. So the, uh, the scenario is Max went to a big college 
got in got in uh into uh, a series of of bad habits he puts them right here alcohol women partying etc the common common uh common stumbling blocks for every man especially in college you know when you talk about college you talk about becoming of of age that 18 years old going off to a big college you said it's a big 10 school so obviously you're talking big schools all those schools in the big 10 are big schools which means large student bases which means tons of opportunities to not go to class stay up late drink alcohol chase women not do what you need to do but instead doing what you think you want to do following those people who are going down those paths of some guys can get away with it and still get good grades and still, you know, pass their classes by the seat of their pants. Um, and some can't sounds like Max wasn't able to do that failed out, had to go to a community college, which I can imagine is a very humbling experience. So you get accepted to a big 10 college, a big school, and then fail out can't cut it when it comes to grades and stuff going back to community college, which has a, has a way of humbling you. Um, we all have these things that happen for us instead of to us. And I believe you having to go to community college happened for you. So you can feel that sense of that sense of failure in that moment. But once again, remember failure is an event, not a person. So failing out of that big 10 school, having to go to a community college was a failure in that moment, but you yourself, Max, are not a failure. Every single person listening right now who has failed at something, talking to you, Michael, myself, every single time that I have failed, that failure was an event. It wasn't a person. I myself am not a failure because I'm not a failure unless I quit. I'm not a failure unless I stop actually trying and pursuing and trying to get better. Even if we have moments that we feel sorry for ourselves, where I guarantee when Max was at a community college, wishing he was back at his Big Ten school, wishing he was back at his big school, in the Greek life, the experiences that he could have been getting, but instead he was down at the community college. There's nothing wrong with the community college if you start there, but if you have to retract and go to a community college just to get your grades up, get the credits, just to get back to the school. Um, number one, I commend you for doing that and then getting back into the school. But then you say, after you failed out, went back to the community college and then came back, um, you're now back at the larger school. But unfortunately you weren't able to carry those good habits with you. So I guess the question is, you have to ask yourself why. If you know the things that you were engaging in, the way that you were living your life, the things that you weren't doing got you to a place that you didn't want to be, which was failing out of, failing out of school and going to a community college, then you were able to write that ship, create some good habits, make a life change. Sounds as though you took it for granted that, you got your grades up in community college and went, went back to the big school. I mean, regret is a real thing. I don't think we need to live in regret. I don't think we need to harp on it. I don't think we need to live our lives by it and let that story of the failures of our past or our shortcomings, especially when they're self-induced. You know, if, if Max was sitting here saying, you know, Hey, I just, I've always really struggled with school. You know, I just wasn't blessed with a high IQ. I wasn't blessed with, um, the ability to focus, you know, ADHD or, um, dyslexia or one of these learning disabilities or one of these things, that's one thing, but to say and admit that it was, you know, partying and it was girls and it was staying up late and doing all those things that you want to do instead of doing what you need to do. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. I think Max has a trust issue. Max, can you trust yourself? 
and the easiest way to eat into your self-image, your self-worth, your self-concept of yourself is knowing at your greatest moment of opportunity or your darkest hour, can you be trusted? Sounds as though you couldn't be trusted as a freshman to do the right thing. So you got failed out of school and then sounds like you could be trusted a little bit at your community college, but then now you can't be trusted again to stay out of the parties, stop chasing the things you need to stop chasing and getting a grade. So it all goes back to self-image. You guys hear me say this all the time, and this could be the 15th episode that you've listened to about me talking about an individual self-concept is the single most important thing in their life. It determines the job that they have, the wealth that they accrue or the lack thereof, the person that they marry, the things that they engage in, the things that they they do. All of that is tied to self-image. All of that is tied to how we see ourselves. Because if you don't think that you deserve success, you will find ways to make sure that you do not achieve success. So Max, I don't think it's about getting better at math. I don't think it's about getting better at science and writing better papers or even being better at testing. I think it's getting better at seeing yourself as a man who deserves success, seeing yourself as a man who can get good grades, who can say no. Without self-control, we're just a bunch of animals wandering around this earth. Without discipline, we're just a bunch of animals doing beast bestial things, base things and admitting or admitting that we can't control our urges, our fancies, our things that we want to do instead of doing what we need to do. And talk to my, my six-year-old son about that all the time. You know, I'll say, well, daddy, I want to do this. Or why can't I do that? And say, well, son, you got to do what you need to do, not what you want to do. In order to gain any kind of success or long, long standing success, you have to engage in the things that you need to do. And then and only then do you deserve to do the things that you want to do. So Max, I don't say this to to belittle you or come at you. As I said, I commend you um, and I pat you on the back virtually, audioly through through this microphone right now for admitting these faults. But man, a lot of times in life, you are where you are because of what is going on inside of your mind and who you spend the most time with. spend time around the losers, spend time around the people who aren't putting the work in. You spend time around the people whose goals are just right in front of their face and they don't really have any lofty goals. They don't want to continue to be a better person, be a better man, be a better leader, which in turn will make you into a better husband, a better father, which is the two most important things that you will ever be in your entire life. Student is great. Greek life is great. For me, being a fighter is great. Being a businessman is great. Entrepreneur is great. Being a podcaster, having a show, all that stuff is great. But none of this stuff even holds a candle to the man that I need to be when it comes to being a father and a husband. Those are the two most important roles that you will ever have. And I will venture to say, in my opinion, the downfall of Western society has so much to do with men not stepping up and being men. Men not stepping up and being good husbands, serving and loving and protecting, providing for their wives. 
leading and loving and serving their children. The downfall and the decay of Western society, I believe, hinges upon us men not stepping up and being good men. So Max, if you're listening right now, take that to heart. I don't care if you're 18 years old, 19 years old, you got your whole life ahead of you. I got scar tissue older than you. Now is the time to start seeing yourself as a man who deserves to be followed. If you want to walk into a room and people take notice, if you want to speak and you want people to listen, if you want to walk in a certain direction, you want people to follow you, you have to be a man deserving of all those qualities, of all those actions. And I get it. It's tough being a young man, especially in college. You're off on your own. Don't have mom and dad telling you where to go, when to go, what time to wake up, where to be. But temptations all around you are some of the best, some of the best moments of your life because every time you say no and you flex that discipline muscle makes you a little bit more happy a little bit more healthy, a little bit harder to kill and much more of a leader. So Max, take control of your mind. Um, I've said it almost on every single show. Get that book, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen off of Amazon right now. It's six bucks. My, I get numerous people sending me photos and stuff on, uh, on Instagram and Twitter and all that kind of stuff because people are buying the book. And like I said, I don't make any money off of the book. It's not my book. It's James Allen. It was written a hundred years ago at this point. But every single word in it really hits home. And it's all about accountability. It's all about taking control of your mind because every single action that you have was tied to a thought that you had or a perception of yourself. So get in your gratitude journal, wake up every single morning, thank the Lord for another day, count your blessings, write out a a detailed plan of how you get from point A to point B. Write down the three or four things that you want to do every single day so you can check those things off of your list. Max, I appreciate your candidness. I appreciate your humility and admission of your shortcomings. Your best days and blessed days are out ahead of you, just like every single person who is listening to this. But be the man that God created you to be. Just think about that. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom in all the areas of your life. And just instead of trying to be better, just be better. If that makes sense. But thank you, Max. Next question comes from Rocco. Hey, Mike, since coming, coming across you as a new fan of MMA, your words alongside many others have motivated me to try to be the best version of myself and pursue MMA. However, I feel whatever I want. However, I feel whenever I want to go outside my comfort zone, I fall over at the final hurdle and fear of failure scares me. I am currently 15 years old and trying to simmer down that voice inside that wants to give up. How do you deal with those voices inside at crucial points? And how do I approach getting over the fear of failure? Many thanks, Rocco. Rocco, what an awesome question. Every single one of us was created with greatness inside of us. Every single one of us was created with the abilities to pursue and achieve and do great things, become awesome human beings and achievers of success. But as Rocco mentioned, things like fear of failure or even things like getting outside of your comfort zone and falling short at the final hurdle. I used to do that all the time in the sport of wrestling. 
I believe I had the work ethic. I believe I had the discipline. I believe, you know, going back to, to Max's question, uh, earlier in college for me, I didn't do and engage in what Max was talking about or what a lot of the guys on my wrestling team were engaging in. I decided that I was in love with the sport of mixed martial arts. I was, or sorry, in the sport of, I was in love with the sport of wrestling. I was in love with this idea of becoming a national champion. That was my goal. And I was laser focused on it. But when it came to those big moments, when it came down to me beating the guys who were ranked ahead of me, when it came down to me believing that I could go out there and beat some of the best guys in the country, I would tell coach that I was going to beat them. I was telling my other teammates that I was going to beat them, but truly inside my heart, truly inside my mind, when it came down to me sitting in between my four walls of my room in Columbia, Missouri, where I was, I knew that I didn't truly believe that. And Rocco, I would say that a man or a woman will never be able to consistently perform in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that he or she sees themselves. So if you don't see yourself as being able to get outside of your comfort zone, push past the barriers and become triumphant, you're not, you are going to, as you said, fall over at the final hurdle and have that fear of failure. But one thing I can tell you right now, also Rocco, 15 years old, admitting that you have a fear of failure is a great time to start. Great time to start thinking about it. The fact that you even sent in this question letting it go, writing it down via email and sending it in unlocks it a little bit more, unlocks your potential to be able to get over that fear of failure a little bit more. If we don't write things down, if we don't admit them, if we don't audibly say them, if we don't, if we don't admit them, the things that we are afraid of or the things that we want to shy away from, if we just hold it inside, it, it keeps that power over us. So admitting that is a, is a, is a phenomenal step in the right direction, Rocco. I can tell you right now as a 37 year old, just turned uh, 37 a couple of days ago, actually. So I got uh, a couple of years on you. Um, I don't fear fa failure at all anymore because two reasons. Number one, it's been revealed to me time and time again, that every single time that I have failed, have fallen short, have stumbled, I've always come back and looked at that as A, a learning lesson, and B, something good came of it. You guys have heard me say it before, if a bad thing happens, but a good thing comes of it, was it really a bad thing? And secondly, Rocco, at 15 years old, I'm sure you are out looking out to people that you look up to, um, people that you admire, people that you aspire to be like, want to be like, want to have what they have and do what they do and be who they be. Every single one of those people that you admire and look up to has at one point or another been a quote unquote failure, has failed in a certain area of their life, but they went from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, faith, and steam and continued to move forward and went from that failure, that setback to the next comeback, which ultimately made them who they are. And we don't follow people because they are successful all the time. We don't follow people because they constantly win. We don't follow people because of the virtual certainty of their successes. We really do love the fact that they have failed and picked themselves up, dusted themselves off and continued to move forward and turn themselves into who they are, willed themselves into who they have become. 
That's why we follow people. Some of my favorite people that I look up to and want to be like, aspire to be like in so many different ways have, have been very, have been very open about their failures. Would wear their failures on their sleeve. Admit when they failed publicly via social media, via YouTube, via TV, via whatever media vehicle that they have. It's, as I said to you, Rocco, about admitting that you have a fear of failure. The people that we look up to also admit when they are, have failed and they talk about their failures. I think that's the reason why I talk about my failures so much, not just to help myself get over it, but also to remind you that maybe Rocco, you're 15, you look up to me and I'm this, you know, big, tough guy, MMA fighter, world champion and ranked in the UFC and fighting Connor and the ultimate fighter and all these awesome things. Yet I have so, I have a trail of failures behind me. The road behind me that I am currently traveling on, moving one step further every single day, one foot in front of the other, that trail and that road is marred with so many failures, yet here I am today, standing tall, still proud of myself. Each one of those failures was an event. It wasn't a person. I stand here today, a person who has failed in the past, but I am not a failure as a person. So throw yourself into the fire and get outside of your comfort zone so that you can fail. But each time that you fail, you get a little bit further. That failure gets pushed out a little bit further every single time you get outside of your comfort zone. So get in the gym, go against the hardest guys, push yourself the most. Coach says do 10 reps, just do 12, do 15. Start making it a habit of doing more than what, what is asked of you because at 15 years old, it's going to bode well for you in your, in your job, in your business, in whatever it is that you choose, doing more than what is required of you, doing it with a smile on your face. As Jim Rohn said, they'll pay you $4 to work at McDonald's, but they'll pay you four and a quarter to take the trash out with a smile on your face. So Rocco, I appreciate it. Great question. Failure is a part of life and fear is a part of life, but embracing it and accepting it is the cornerstone of getting from point A to point B to where you want to be. Next question comes from Anthony. Hi, Michael. My name is Anthony and I am from Omaha, Nebraska. 21 years old and having issues with feeling like I've failed in achieving my dream. I went to college in New York for two years immediately after high school and got my associate's degree in theater. But once money started running thin and jobs were few and far between, I moved back to live with my single mother and little sister. Shortly after coming back home, my childhood house, to my childhood house, I moved back into burned down completely because of an insane lightning storm that happened in Omaha. Luckily, we we all three made it out safe, and I honestly felt grateful I was there instead of in New York because I helped my mom and sister get out of the house before it became engulfed in fire. But I just felt like my life was spiraling out of control in ways I could never imagine. Fortunately, we are now trying to settle into a new home, and I'm working very hard every day at my sales job trying to help support my family, whether it's paying bills or putting food on the table. It's a struggle to feel like my life is having any direction anymore, and I feel like I have left my dreams dormant. I know this was quite a lengthy one, but I feel context definitely was necessary. How do you overcome feeling like you failed living up to your potential? Thank you, Michael, and see you at the top. Anthony? What a, what a, what a story, man. Um, first thing I would say is similar to the last two questions at this point. 
failures are a prerequisite to who we want to become. I cannot stress that enough. And yeah, you feel like your, your dreams have been left dormant. You work in a sales job. But sometimes, sometimes we need a season of recalibration. And as we, or as you mentioned in here, Anthony, had you not been going into a season of recalibration and going back to Omaha, as you said, you were thankful that you were there instead of New York because you were there and you were able to help your mom and little sister get out of that house because heaven forbid you wouldn't have been there. Things could have went south very quickly. So sometimes something that seems to be a negative thing seems to be a bad thing that is happening to us or even a season of dormant, uh, like you said, or even a season where we have to sit back and start to recalibrate, recoil the spring, so to speak, reconfigure where we're at. Sometimes that's right where we need to be. And Anthony, I can't stress this enough just like Max and Rocco before you, you're 21 years old, man. You're 21 years old. It's so young. You've got your entire life ahead of you. So for you to even, you know, and, and I appreciate it because we all deal with this, but for you to ask, you know, how do you overcome feeling like you have failed in living up to your potential? Anthony, you haven't even scratched the surface of your potential yet. The potential that you have inside of you is going to be molded and galvanized and worked and created every single day for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You know, if you're 45 years old, you're 50 years old, and you're saying, hey, I feel like I just haven't lived up to my potential, there might be some truth in it. But Anthony, you were 21 years old. You went off to New York and got your um, associate's degree in theater the advice that I would give you is in this time of recalibration, in this time of letting your dreams lay dormant, they don't have to stay dormant. I know you're in Omaha, Nebraska, but maybe it's working your eight hours or six hours or 10 hours or whatever your schedule is like on your sales job that is paying the bills and also helping provide for your mom and your sister, which I commend by the way. You're adding layers to your human by providing by getting that paycheck and it not just going to the bars and not just going to the, the car and not just going to wasting it on foolish, flashy things. It's going to help your mom and your sister. And that is commendable as, as a 21 year old young man. So spending this time right now while you are working the sales job to make the money and also spending a couple hours a day, whether it be early in the morning while you're writing in your journal while you're writing out what your goals are, while you're writing out what you're thankful for, while you're making a list of things that you need to do, three, four, five things that you can check off very easily to feel accomplished so you can trust yourself. Maybe it's early in, that, early in the morning before work or before anything else that you work on scripts, you work on play ideas, you work on different theater things that feed your dream because yeah, right now you're in a situation where you have to make the money and pay the bills. But we all have 24 hours in a day. And I've said this numerous times. I have the same 24 hours. You have the same 24 hours. 
president of the United States have this has the same 24 hours. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Mark Cuban, the biggest business leaders, richest people in the world, they all have 24 hours and they created all that wealth with the same 24 hours that you have. So it's just about getting laser focused on the time that you can spend on things outside of your current paycheck. And then eventually maybe those passions. And as you said, your dreams and your goals that are now currently laying dormant turn into making money to be able to leave the sales job and really fuel the passion. But Anthony, I would just encourage you right now. You are not failing to live up to your potential. Maybe you feel like that right now, but you're 21 years old, got your whole life ahead of you. As I said earlier, I got, I still have scar tissue older than you. I've got scar tissue older than your 21 year old self. So spend this time working hard, having your goals, your dreams, your one year goal, your six month goal, your this week goal, your one day today goals and chain all of those together to get to where you want to go and where you need to be. But I commend you, Anthony, for stepping up for your mom, your sister. Um, and I would just say, keep on getting after it. And um, your best days and blessed days are out ahead of you because it sounds like you are a hard worker operating with an integrity character and you have a will to not just serve yourself, but to serve others. Keep serving others. You guys have heard me say that as well. You can have everything you want in life if you'll just help enough other people get what they want in life. And Anthony, you are helping your mom and sister get what they want in life, whether it be food, shelter, clothes, the bare necessities. Even if you're just helping with the bare necessities, pat yourself on the back. Take a moment to say, I'm doing something bigger than myself here. Proud of you, Anthony. Next question comes from Parker. Hey, Michael, I hope you had a great experience with the ultimate fighter and got your guys closer to their ultimate dream. I appreciated the Instagram shout out too. Hopefully you've got to face, hopefully you've got a face to put to these questions. My question for you today is about con confrontation and communication. I've heard you say before that despite being a fighter, you struggle at times with confrontation, perhaps with some of those you find closest to you, such as your wife. How important do you feel it is to confront issues in a relationship and communicate how you feel in a respectful manner? I feel it is a bit of a balancing act at times, knowing when to bite the bullet and brush something off or to dig deep into an, into an issue that has arisen in one's relationship. As always, God bless. See you at the top. Parker, what a great question. So the question we're talking about excuse me, the question we're talking about is, is uh, confrontation. And yes, what Parker is alluding to is how I've talked before about even though I'm a fighter and I get in confrontations, physical altercations often in training. And then obviously on world stages and in a cage somewhere, um, when it comes to confrontation, I don't really like them. You know, I've tried to get better at them because I do think as you grow, as you mature, as you become more and more of a, a leader or have people depending on you or your time just starts to get more and more limited, you have to be selfish with that time. If I gave my time to every single person that, that needed me, 
I'm going to be shortchanging my wife. I'm going to be shortchanging my children. I'm going to be shortchanging my career. I'm going to be shortchanging every single aspect of my life because I do have so many people in my life and so many different people pulling me in different directions, offering me things, asking me things, wanting help. And I do enjoy serving people. I do enjoy helping people, but there's a time and a place for everything. But specifically when it comes to confrontation or even um, as he brings up as a, as an example in your relationship for me with my wife, um, it was something I definitely struggled with when we were, when we first got married, you know, I, I grew up in a household where we didn't deal with confrontation very well. It was either confrontation and there wasn't as much communication. It was more just altercations, if you will, you know, as far as, you know, if we had a problem in our household, whether it be my mom and dad or me and my brothers or me and my mom or me and my dad or whatever, you know, it was just kind of, Hey, here's the problem. I'm mad at you because of this. You're mad at me because of that. There was never a common ground of, Hey, why don't we sit down right here? Why don't we, why don't we make a sandwich? Why don't we make some Kool-Aid or open a vest soda? I don't know if you guys ever had vest soda back in the day, but you know, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what I could have done better to make you not feel the way that you're feeling, that you felt. And what could have you done it better to maybe serve my feelings a little bit more? We didn't do that a lot, which I don't think is necessarily a, you know, an indictment on my family. I think my family is phenomenal. My mom and dad loved the heck out of me and provided for us. And, um, but I think seeing that or watching that or that being ingrained in me made it hard once I got married and me and Bree would have um, disagreements or something that I would disagree about or something I didn't like, or maybe it was just a stressful time in our lives and she's a career woman, I'm a career guy and I'm fighting and I'm traveling and she's doing her career and working a thousand hours a week at the hospital. Um, there was times where I would just stuff it down, times where I would just want to say something, want to talk to her about it, want to communicate something to her. And I just wouldn't do it until we all know how that ends. You know, eventually, eventually, you know, something, something sets you off weeks later, but it wasn't really that one thing that set you off. It was the six or eight things prior to that, the little things that could have just been addressed four weeks ago and then also two weeks ago and three and a half weeks ago and all these little things that just got stuffed down that end up manifesting themselves in one overreaction because of the things that you held in tight, held in and stuffed down. And I do think that there's a fine line between be, being over emotional and always looking for the bad in things. I mean, if, if, if every single thing that kind of irked me or kind of uh, disappointed me or kind of bothered me about my wife or our relationship or how she was acting or how she was thinking or what she did or, or my kids or my job or all these different things, then all of a sudden you just kind of become a complainer. There are certain things that just, especially in a, in a marriage and in a, in, in a relationship, I mean, the amount of, things that are just not worth any kind of response, not worth any kind of reaction, showing more grace and having gratitude for who they are and the, and how they are absolutely, my wife is perfect for me. She's absolutely the most perfect woman on the planet for me. I mean, I think she's the most perfect woman on the planet period, but for me, especially, um, but 
that doesn't mean that I'm not going to disagree with her. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to dislike the way that she responds or the things that she might do or the things that she might throw herself into, whether it be work or whether it be serving others or doing this or doing that and choosing those things instead of me. Of course, there's moments of, hey, but what about me? You know, all these different type of things, but giving her the leeway to be her own person, her always giving me a leeway to be my own person and loving each other through the different seasons and the different quote unquote faults or the different quote unquote disappointments or the quote unquote, quote unquote disagreements. And then picking and choosing and knowing which ones are the, the, are the right battles to choose. We've all heard that choose your battles and in marriage and relationship and in your job, wherever it may be. Um, you know, your boss might tick you off a lot, but if you told him every single time he ticked you off or you told her every time she ticked you off, you're going to end up going in the can, <laughs> you know, they are your higher up. They are your superior. You do have to answer to them. They do sign your paycheck. So choosing your battles is number one. And that can be done by just asking for wisdom. And also Parker, you talked about communication, the best way to communicate. Like you said, in a respectful manner. If every single time there was a disagreement, you raise your voice or you kind of go low a little bit, you kind of dig a little bit, it's not always the most effective way to communicate. It's not always the effect, most effective way to go from disagreement to resolution. And a lot of times, the calmer you can be, looking at each one of those disagreements slash disappointments slash things that tick you off, irk you, whatever, looking at each one of those as a challenge to overcome and an opportunity to flex your communication muscles, flex your patience muscles, flex your grace muscles, and ultimately flex your gratitude muscles. I'm not just talking to you, Parker. I'm not just talking to the other people out there. I'm talking to myself as well. Looking at each opportunity, every single moment of anger, disappointment, every single moment of disappointment, um, disagreement, I mean, is another opportunity to flex those muscles. So the more you can, A, show the humility to stuff the things down that need to be stuffed down, or I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't call them stuffed down because stuffed down means it's probably something you probably shouldn't be overlooking or probably shouldn't let slide. But discerning and differentiating between something that deserves to be addressed and something that deserves to be shown grace and then forgive. But communication is key. And I think sometimes, I think mine also stemmed from, maybe it was a, a self-image scenario as well, self-image um, impairment that I had as well. That it just didn't, maybe I didn't feel like I was deserved of disagreeing and trying to argue my point. So the more confidence that you have in yourself, the more you're able to communicate in an effective manner and also the reputation that you're going to have. I mean, one beautiful thing that my wife and I have, if there's something that she disagrees with or she needs to talk to me about, you best believe I rarely get defensive because I know that she doesn't, she is, has a proven track record of not just, not just being upset or over emotional or mad about something silly. She has a proven track record of that. And I have a proven track record of not bringing in anything up unless it's truly bothering me, unless it's a real thing. So you got to ask yourself, is this something real? Is it not? 
and then create a track record of stability, steadfastness, and immovability in your emotions slash the things that bother you. But hopefully that helped um, whether y'all are in a relationship or you're not in a relationship. You just need to get better at communicating and confrontations with people. So Parker, I appreciate the, uh, the question. Next one comes from Julissa. Michael, I've been listening to your podcast since my significant other was away competing on Tough 31. Wow. Okay. This is cool. In one of your early episodes, you stated how you didn't really have a desire to coach MMA after retiring. Having this experience coaching on Tough, I'm interested to know, do you still feel this way? And what has the whole experience during Tough been like for you? Switching gears. My next questions revolve around you and Bree's relationship. As a fighter, how do you guys maintain balance and stability through challenges on and off fight season? How has your relationship transitioned or changed as your as your career has also continued to heighten? And lastly, what do you love and appreciate about Bree most that you also find very helpful to you as a fighter? I think your podcast is great. And was super helpful to me during the no contact time of filming Tough. Can't wait to hear more. And I'm really looking forward to watching you and McGregor battle it out on Tough and in the cage. Thank you, Jay. See you at the top, she says. Jay, what a, this is cool, man. Just, uh, I don't know who she's talking about, but how cool is it that I'm getting a question from her and I can just imagine my eight guys like love every single one of them loved the experience loved coaching them for that period of time uh and i know it must have been tough you know well tough literally and physically metaphorically the ultimate fighter tough but a tough experience for these guys because i was able to have my phone <laughs> i was able to talk to my wife every day every day facetime with my kids and i was homesick as heck a couple of different times but i was able to actually have uh contact with them Julissa and the other significant others, wives, um, girlfriends, friends, families, moms and dads, all of these people, we were there for four weeks straight and they had no phones, no communication with the outside world, um, no TVs, no radios, no computers, no internet, none of that stuff. So what they were going through was very tough, but um, she asks, or she states that I didn't, I said that I didn't have a desire to coach MMA after retiring and having the experience on the ultimate fighter. Has it changed? Um, do I still feel the same way? And has the whole experience during tough been like, or what has the whole experience been like? So I loved it. I loved as soon as I met my dudes, as soon as the teams were picked, those eight dudes came over and shook their hands. Immediately, I, I felt this extreme sense of extreme sense of conviction to make sure that I put my best foot forward every single day because those guys' lives depended on me showing up. And furthermore, it's very fitting that I'm getting a question from one of the wives because I thought about all of their wives or their girlfriends or their kids or significant others. I thought about all of them. I didn't just think about the eight heartbeats standing in front of me, the 16 set of eyes standing in front of me, all the eight sets of eyes standing in front of me. I knew that I was commissioned with a job 
that needed to be done to the fullest, not from me. Yeah, I wanted to be looked at like a great coach. Yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to beat Connor. Yeah, I wanted to do all those things. Of course, I wanted to to look good on TV and say the right things and reality TV, but ultimately it was about all these guys getting a contract. And I knew not all of them were going to be able to win the show. There was going to be one winner at each weight class, so there's going to be two winners total. And there was eight guys on my team and eight guys on the other team and there was no guarantee um Actually, there was, it was a guarantee that the, not all of them were going to get a contract or win the ultimate fighter. So that was tough for me. So I just knew I had to, to divvy up my time, pie up my time and spend as much time as I can, not just getting them ready physically, but getting them ready, getting them ready spiritually and emotionally, mentally for what was to come. Um, I still stand firm. I don't think I have a desire to coach MMA after, after fighting, um, if anything, I think I was more of a mindset coach on the ultimate fighter than I was an actual MMA coach. Um, punches, kicks, knees, elbows, wrestling, grappling, all that kind of stuff. The X's and the O's are important, but they're not as important as the way that you see yourself. And I really think you guys are going to love a couple of these moments. A couple of these moments with some of these guys where there was a couple moments where I just knew the guys weren't where they at, where they needed to be mentally. And we just worked on them and worked, worked on them and, and encouraged them and, and loved on them. And, and when I say we, I'm saying my, my coaching staff as well. My coaching staff was awesome. Um, but some of these wins that some of these guys had and coming over to me with tears in their eyes and thank you so much for making me believe in me. And I think that was the greatest, the greatest experience some of the greatest experiences of my life was those moments where that guy met his goal and thanked me because I was able to pour something into him and make him believe in himself. And that was just a dream come true for me. So thank you for that question. Um, one of the greatest experiences of my life, one of the toughest experiences of my life, because I just cared way too much. I say way too much. I didn't care way too much. I just cared a lot, you know? It would have been a lot easier if I was just like, hey, man, I'm here to be on ESPN. I'm here to be on the cameras. I'm here to be a reality TV star. I'm here to make some money. I'm here to do this, that, and the other thing. But it, for me, it was just I cared so much about these dudes so much. So um, switching gears, she says, my next question revolves around you and Bree's relationship. As a fighter, how do you guys maintain balance and stability through challenges on and off fight season? How has your relationship transitioned or changed as your career has continued to heighten? And lastly, what do you love and appreciate most about Bree? that you also find very helpful to you as a fighter? Um, great questions. I, I could sit here and talk about my wife till I'm blue in the face. I am who I am. I am where I am. I have what I have because of the love and the support, the unwavering support and belief of my wife. We've all heard it behind every great man is a great woman. Um, and my wife, through the toughest of times, believed in me more than I believed in myself encouraged me more than I was able to encourage myself, loved on me more than I loved myself. Not just loved me, but loved on me, intentionally loved on me. And through each ups and downs of my career, as my career has, has heightened, I'd be lying if I said it hasn't gotten you know, harder at times because of the demands and my travel and the more training camps and just more, more opportunities being thrown my way. And you got to make hay with us while the sun is shining and you gotta, you gotta go out and, um, 
create the life that you always wanted and create the life that she deserves and our boys deserve. Um, so for her or for me, I would say her steadfastness, her willingness and ability to even at the worst of times, just be there for me, be positive when I need her to be positive, not say a thing when I need her to not say a thing, speak life into me when I need her to speak life into me. And I think that's something that only comes with a discernment that a soulmate can have. Sometimes it's her saying a lot by not saying anything at all. Sometimes it's her saying exactly what I need to hear. Sometimes it's her just holding my hand. And as I said, loving on me. So I think that's the answer to your, your final question. You know, what, what do I love and appreciate most about her? And the thing that I find the most helpful is honestly, her lovingness toward me, her unwavering belief and support in me and how inspiring she is to me. It's really awesome that your best friend, your soulmate, the person that you want to call after every single practice, want to say, I love you and go into practice and before every practice and every moment in between, I'm thinking about her and I'm, you know, I wear my, my ring during all my practices, this groove ring, it's a silicone ring. Um, so I can just wear it underneath all my gloves and all my workouts, all, all my runs, all my cardio, all those different things. So I can look down at it, give it a little touch, give it a little wiggle, give it a little spin to remind me of who I have in my corner, her my two boys, who I'm, who I'm fighting for, who I'm providing for. And as I mentioned to her being an inspiration to me, she works her daggum face off. <laughs> she works like crazy. She's a career woman. So that inspires me. So there's days where I feel sorry for myself. And I think about how much is on my plate. There's more on her plate. Yeah. I'm, I work physically harder than she does. Yeah. I sweat a little bit more, a lot more. I work out a lot more and a lot harder, of course, because that's my profession. But when it comes to the work, she puts in more hours than I do, wears more hats than I do, with a crazier schedule than I have, and does it all with so much grace. So that's what she does for me. Her steadfastness in the fires of life um, is inspiring to me, and I love the heck out of her. So, Julissa... I can't wait for this show to come out. Um, can't wait for you to see it. Um, can't wait for you uh, to see um, your man out there. So it's going to be good. But thank you for the question. Next one comes from Zach. Hi, my name is Zach. Do you feel that being a fighter is something God has called you to do? If so, how do you separate both, both being a competitive slash wanting to be the best yet still being aware that you are on the an assignment by God. And what are some cool ways that you've gotten to share Jesus with people throughout your journey as a fighter specifically? Hope that's not too much. Haha. Ha, thanks. These questions resonate with me personally as a follower of Jesus who also wants to be a fighter. Hey, it's never too much, Zach. This is this is the platform that we we want you all to go deep. We all we want you all to ask whatever questions you got. Uh, well, you know, not any questions. Uh Connor goes through my Connor, my media director goes through them before just to make sure, you know, they're suitable for this podcast. But um, we want you guys to go deep. We want you to ask questions that might be hard to answer. Because trust me, there's been a couple of times I've been sweating up here 
because some of these questions are hard to answer, but I do believe I was called to be on this microphone and speak life into y'all's life. So, um, so the question is knowing that I'm on assignment by God, that God called me to this sport and being competitive and wanting to be the best, but also being aware that you are on assignment by God. And then what are some ways that I've shared people, um, shared my faith with people? I think, uh, I think the biggest thing about it is there's been a misconception here and there is, well, how do you, how can you, uh, fight in a cage and beat people up and also be a follower of Christ? And I say, who are you to question the calling on anyone's life? That's the, that's the question I always kind of go back to. That's answering the question with the question, but being competitive, wanting to be the best, wanting to be the absolute best, wanting to find ridiculous levels of success and platform and bright lights and wealth and significance and all of these different things. Sometimes we can fall into a, a way to humble, turn the other cheek. Money is the root of all evil uh, type of mentality when it comes to being a, a Christ follower, that we just think that God called us to live lowly, little, quiet, insignificant lives and read our Bibles and do our prayers and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I just don't believe that. I believe God created us for ridiculous amounts of success. Someone's going to go out there and capture all of that success. Someone's out there right now capturing and gaining ground toward a platform, toward a voice toward success, toward nice things and lots of money and significance. So why shouldn't it be God's people? I think he reserved it for God's people and not the devil's bunch. I think there's way too much of the devil's bunch out there getting all of those things while us Christians sit back and say, well, I'm going to turn the other cheek and money is the root of all evil. And well, I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. So I better not be too successful. I'm talking to myself because I had that mentality for a while. You know, I think I was afraid of success partly because of what it meant to people. And it wasn't until bus tar box, my Bible study leader. Um, I think he was the first one that really started unlocking that for me. He is the owner of an orthopedic group in Columbia, Missouri. Um, obviously orthopedic surgeon. It's no secret. The guy's makes good money. The guy is well off the guy. Um, is doing well for himself. And he was the first guy that I really saw because he, he had us come over to his house and he served us, you know, love and loved on us and all those different things, opened his home for us so we can do a Bible study. And that's when I started really realizing, man, people with money can bless more people the more money that they have, the more success that they have, the more, you know, the more impact they can make with the platform that they have. So that's been, I think, one thing that I've really tried to hone in on is the fact that I think God wants you to not just walk toward your dreams with your head held low and maybe you get them, maybe you don't. I think he wants you to go capture them. I think he wants you to go, I think he wants you to go capture them in a big, big way. The biggest platform you could have ever asked for, the biggest amount of significance, touching the hearts and minds of people, as many people as you possibly can. I think that's what he wants. So anybody right now who who is uh, who feels like they are being called to be put under a rock, God's word said it says it right there. Putting a lamp on a hill, 
that scripture about a lamp was meant to be on a hill or a lamp was not meant to be covered up. The quote I've brought up numerous times, don't not being afraid to let your light shine so other people will unknowingly let their light shine as well. Some of the ways I've been able to share my testimony, share my faith, share Jesus with other people is just by speaking about it. And, you know, I don't talk about my faith a lot. You know, I've, this is probably the most that I talk about my faith on this podcast because I get asked about it. Um, but I try to live my life by a quote. I think his name was John Brown. Actually, no, that's a completely different quote, but basically preaching the gospel at all times, but when necessary, using words. I don't need to sit here and quote scripture to, People don't want them walking down the street and my way of doing it is might be different than other people's, but that's just how I am. So thank you, uh, Zach. Thank you for the question, but let that light shine. Next one comes from Jessica. How did your thoughts of Jason, Jason Knight change before the show to after watching him compete? Do you think he can ultimately make another run in the UFC? Well, 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 another tough 31 question. Um, I think I had, I think I knew the most about Jason Knight more than anybody else on my team. I can tell you that much. Um, and let me just be careful with my words. You got to make sure, um, I'm not giving away anything. Connor's over there on the, Connor's over there on the, on the cutter, just in case we need to cut something out and I accidentally say something, but, um, I will tell you this, Jason Knight, I knew the most about him because I had seen him in the UFC Watched his bare knuckle fight where he fought Artem and he fought a couple other fights. Um, and I think, uh, I think I didn't know him personally, but I had watched him fight. I knew he was probably one of the toughest guys on the, the entire show for sure. But what really surprised me about Jason Knight, I'll try not to give too much of it away, but I always made a joke that he's running for mayor of the ultimate fighter house. Cause he was just, he was that guy, man. Everybody loved him didn't matter if you had to fight him that day, you somehow were like, man, I freaking like this guy. You know, didn't matter if, didn't matter if you disagreed with what he said. He said it with such love in his heart that you're just like, okay, I disagree with what you're saying, but man, I just can't not like you. You're freaking awesome. And I told him, I told him that on the show. I said, Hey man. And I think it was, you know, before even the fights or any, any of the fight fighter fights that he's had, it was just, Hey man, you're going to, you're going to break out on the show because people are going to fall in love with you because you're a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. They're a wonderful man. The things you speak about, uh, the way you carry yourself, the happy go lucky joy that you operate in. Dang, it was just, it was inspiring to me. The amount of times that me and my coaching staff talked about Jason and how we both wanted a little bit more of what Jason had inside of us, man. Um, he's awesome. Uh, one of my favorite dudes that I, ever could have met. Um, and now we get to be friends, which is awesome. And do I think he can ultimately make another run in the UFC? I absolutely do. I think he's got the skill set. Um, from a marketing standpoint, he's a marketer's dream. Mississippi, Mississippi raised, uh, Alabama or not Alabama alligator wrestling, uh, down in the swamps, man, just good old boy talks about his lucky boots. You know, he's just, he's that guy, man. Jason Knight is that guy and I freaking love him. So I can't wait for y'all to see, uh, the ultimate fighter 31 premieres May 30th. So we are, by the time this episode comes out, be right around, uh, a month away. So, uh, 
it's going to be fun every single Tuesday night from May 30th to August 15th, uh, Tuesday nights. Um, not quite sure what time it is, like eight o'clock or something like that. But, um, so Jessica, Jason Knight is the man. I do think he'll make another run in the UFC. Um, and I do think, uh, he's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. So next one from Shane and last question, then we'll button it up for y'all. Hey Mike, my name is Shane from Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia, and I'm a big fan. Shout out to Nova Scotia. Shout out to TJ Grant. I'm having a boy in September, and I was just wondering if you had any tips on how to balance your work life and dad life. Good luck versus Connor. And as always, God bless. See you at the top. Shane, as I said, shout out to Nova Scotia. Spent a little bit of time out there with TJ Grant. Uh, awesome dude. Um, Nova Scotia, uh, right on the right on the water there. Um, great place. Great people. Um, one of the biggest moments of your life, Shane, having a baby boy in September. Tips on how to balance your work and dad life. Well, it's different for everybody, but there's a couple absolute truths. Um, number one, Shane, start, uh, so it's September, so about four or five months, whatever it is. You got about five months to, pre to prepare yourself for... The, the greatest blessing, the most beautiful thing in life, but also something that's going to be challenging at times. Um, number one, this idea of balance, you know, your work and dad life is, is a tough one. I would be lying to tell, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I got some dad guilt here and there, um, that I feel like I chose work. You choose work over your kids. You feel guilty. You choose your kids over your work. You feel guilty, you know, I hate to use the word guilty. I don't think guilt is, is from, is from God. I don't think that's something he wants us to feel. I don't think that's something that we should be feeling. I think that's a product of our, our nurture or it's a product of, of, uh, maybe it's human nature, call it what you will, but showing yourself the grace to know that there's going to be days that you're going to be all in on your work. And then you need to be walk through that threshold of your house and just be present. Um, the balance of work life and dad life is always going to be skewed and, and swayed in the work direction. It's just inherently, if you got a nine to five job, that means you're working eight hours, five days a week. That's 40 hours. By the time you wake up in the morning, you might get an hour or so with your kids. By the time you get done with work, you might get an hour or two with your kids. So you worked eight hours and you got to see them two, three hours. And then you compound that day after day after day after day. And then obviously on the weekends, you get to spend some time with them. But that's if you're working a nine to five and you're not traveling or your schedule is not hectic or what it may be. So anybody who's listening, just realize, just do the math. You're always going to be working more than you're going to get to spend time with your kids. Then your kids go to school. So right now my son is at school um, numerous hours the day, six, seven hours of the day, you know, so you only get two, three hours with them. So my biggest thing would be when you can be there, be where your feet are, be where your butt is on the seat. If you're there with them, put the phone away, put the phone in the closet. I like to put my phone in the closet. Um, unless I know I got someone that, that I need to be responding to or something like that. Put the phone in the closet. Um, be intentional. I think we underestimate how much time we can give our children just in a 20 minute period. Example for me, we got a, a, um, 
trampoline a couple months ago, actually for Christmas. And Hap always wants to jump. Hap loves jumping. Every single day he wants to ask me to jump. <laughs> Every single day. And what I started to realize was, man, okay, I don't, I don't really want to jump right now. Um, it's not really what I want to do. But just jumping with it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You know, we're the type of people, we're the type of dads, we're the type of men, we're the type of human beings that'll watch a, a show for two hours. But I won't just jump on the trampoline with my son for 20 minutes. Think about that. That 20 minutes feels like hours to him. And yeah, little boys especially, they got a ton of energy. Yeah, as soon as we get done jumping on the trampoline, it's like, okay, daddy, let's play with blocks. Okay, daddy, let's do monster trucks. Okay, daddy, let's do this. Every now and then, you know, setting the, setting the boundary where it's like, okay, well, hey, daddy has to go work. Um, but one thing I would say, Shane, obviously you're going to have a newborn in September, but whenever he is is old enough to start to rem- or t- start to realize, one thing I tell my son often is every man has to work. And if I walked up to him right now and say, hey, Hap, every man has to, and he'll say work. He will finish that sentence because I want him to know. Number one, maybe that's a self, uh, uh, self-preservation mechanism for me to be like, okay, well, make sure my son knows that every man has to work. So therefore he doesn't, you know, think his dad is abandoning him while he is working. But also it's very important for him to know that every man has to work. This house that you live in, the car that we drive, the food that's on the table, the clothes that are on your back, all that takes money. We all have to work. And I think it's good to work. I think it's good to, to pursue something, to have purpose. So just remind yourself, Shane, that when you are working, every single moment is for him to provide for him. Make sure you focus on realizing that you will have some dad guilt here, here and there. Show yourself some grace. Be where your feet are. Put your phone away um, and support. Um, it doesn't say if you're married or not or um, support your partner, support his mother. One of the best things that you, a man can give a child is a good relationship. A shining and cleaning example of a good man who loves and serves his mom. I'm serving my children by serving my wife. I'm serving my children by giving them a good example of a man who is loving on a a woman, loving on their mother, serving her, showing humility, doing things for her, and then starting to involve the kids. Hey, we're going to do this. You know why we're doing this right now? Because it serves mommy. The other day we were breaking down boxes and I knew there was a couple of boxes or there was a boxes were piling up in the garage. And I said, Hey, you know what? We're doing this because we need to do it. Also, we need to do it. But also we're doing this to serve mommy because there are cars in the garage and you don't want her to have to move around these boxes. So then you start implanting it in your child's brain that, yeah, okay, every man needs to do chores and every man has to work. But also when we do these things, we're serving mommy. That's what a man does. Wow. A man serves his wife. So those are a couple tips for you, Shane, and every dad out there, um, every husband out there. Make it a point today to love on your wife. Do something of service. And I'm not just saying get her flowers. I mean, some women love flowers. My wife's not a big flower person, but something that's out of the blue, something that is uh something that is an act of service that that warrants the response of, wow, he thought about me. He was thinking about me during this time. So 
that's pretty much it for the show today. That's it for the questions. Um, keep them coming in podcast at michaelchandler.com. We've got a bunch of episodes coming y'all's way. Um, a lot of big things happening and coming up soon. Mark it on your calendars. May 30th um, is the premiere of The Ultimate Fighter on ESPN Tuesday nights. Um, got a couple big uh, appearances and shows and stuff coming up um, that I can't quite tell you about. Been talking to the UFC about. So there'll be some big, big stuff coming soon. So make sure you follow my social medias at Mike Chandler MMA. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, share with anybody that you think might find value out of this. I appreciate you guys. Have a wonderful day. God bless. I'll see you at the top.